to the 21st uh, chapter of the book of Acts. As I mentioned, how difficult is it, at least it is for me, to uh, preach and teach to folks who haven't uh, been with us because, you know, this isn't their home church and they're coming from different places, and to start in and teach from the last few chapters of Acts because Paul is sort of winding up his missionary journeys and uh, from this chapter on, the half, this half of the chapter on, we got plenty of seats. We got plenty of seats. Just skewed in, folks, and uh, those folks, there's ones right over here. Uh, but anyway, from the, this last half of chapter 21 to the end, Paul's a prisoner, basically. Paul is a prisoner. Now, let me just, folks, Paul, I want to tell you who Paul is. Paul was a guy who about 20 or 25 years earlier than this, don't quote me on the dates, was a man who was involved in uh, Judaism, who was like at the highest heights of Judaism. That's Paul. And he was actually a consenter to the killing of Christians. And one day he was riding, uh, uh, walking on the road to Syria, Damascus, and the Lord appeared to him and spoke to him, and he got saved. And we have been following his journey around the Mediterranean Sea, the ancient world, three missionary journeys that Paul did, that Paul completed. And Xander, who taught last week on the first bit of chapter 21, who did a fantastic job, by the way, just amazing. I was so blessed by it. Xander talked to us about how this certain prophet named Agabus over in chapter 20 came to Paul and the disciples and said, you know, that he his, his plan, Paul's plan to go to Jerusalem. Okay, Paul, you're going to go to Jerusalem? Well, here's what's going to happen at Jerusalem. You're going to be bound and you're going to be delivered into the hands of the Gentiles. Now, Gentiles were Romans. Now, you need to know this. I remember when I was a kid and I was reading the Bible, you'd, you'd experience Romans and Jewish people and captains and guards. And I, I think half of understanding the New Testament and the Old Testament is simply figuring out who the players are. And... The Romans, if you can put up a map, if we have a map, you give me the high sign or the low sign on map. Oh, good. If you put up a map, these are the missionary journey areas. Paul, all the way around this Mediterranean Sea, Paul, excuse me, Romans, all the way around this Mediterranean Sea ruled the world, the ancient world. And they kept countries under their thumb. They basically put people in there and said these two things. Pay your taxes, everything will be fine. Don't upset any of the peace, everything will be fine. But if you get out of line or don't pay taxes, we'll come in and we'll crush you. That's what the Romans said. And so now we are seeing that Paul is being sent or is going down here to Jerusalem. He's wound up his uh, missionary journeys. Look at this. Somebody gave me this. This is amazing. 
Look at that. I think, wait a minute, hold on. This one's even better. You know why it's better? Because it's green. All right, so Paul, after his missionary journeys, is sort of up here in the north. That was a big church for the Christians. And he's, he wants to come down here to Jerusalem. Why? Paul loves the Jewish people. But God, in his missionary journeys, told Paul that he was going to share with non-Jewish people. But Paul had it in his heart to support the Jewish church, the Christian church. And so in his missionary journeys, he would take offerings of money so that he could deliver it back to the Jerusalem church that was struggling because of famine. Okay? That's where we are in the story. And now a prophet has said, well, that's all well and good. He didn't really say it that way, but that's all well and good if you go back there. But if you go back there, you're headed for prison and chains. And it's going to be a tough time. But Paul was convinced in his heart that he should go back. And so here's where we end up. We end up in verse 15. Because Paul had just said, well, I understand what you say, prophet, but the will of the Lord be done as I go back to Jerusalem. Everybody with me? Everybody okay? You guys good? You listening? Okay. We're going to take sort of a detour here today, but, but not really. Well, just follow along with me. Verse 15 of chapter 21 of the book of Acts. And after those days, we packed and went up to Jerusalem. They're actually walking south from the Antioch church. They're going south. They're going down on a map, but they're going up in topography because Jerusalem is up on a hill. And so they go down to Jerusalem or go up to Jerusalem, sorry, and some of the disciples from Caesarea, which is in between Antioch and uh, Jerusalem went with us and brought with them a certain nation of, of Cyprus. That was a, 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 an island off the coast of the Mediterranean Sea near Syria and Jerusalem. He's an early disciple with whom we were to lodge. What a nice way of saying he's an old man. <laughs> right? This is an older disciple, and this is a, a, f- a friend. And I think it's wonderful as we see this intellectual guy named Paul who can write and think with the best of the people in the world. I mean, he is a thinker, has been trained in religious stuff, but not only was his eyes in a book, he always had friends around. He was a man that cultivated friendships. And here they bring this one, and the disciples are with Paul, and they're coming down, or some followers are with Paul, and they're coming down from Antioch, and I want you to see the story, and they're bringing some older guys with them who've been around for a while. It's been, you know, 25 plus years since the book of Acts started, and and here we are, and they're finally going to go to Jerusalem. He's finally going to go to Jerusalem, even though he's been told he's going to be put in prison by a prophet. You all catching what's happening here? But he goes, in the chapter 9 of the book of Romans, I believe, he says, this is how much he felt and hurt and had compassion for and loved his fellow Jews. He said, I'd rather be accursed. Wow. Then see my countrymen 
go to hell. Now, he doesn't say it that way, but that's what he's saying. That's amazing. And so here he goes with the gifts, and he's going down there, and watch this. And when he had come to Jerusalem, the brethren received us gladly. That's just another way of saying the church, the people of God, came and they had this amazing day. Now, what did people of the time do as the church when they got together? You don't have to guess. Turn with me to Acts chapter 2. You don't have to guess. When Acts, the early church got together, here's what they did. As we see, they come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. And uh, it doesn't say this here, but I suspect this is what was going on in verse 42. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. I'll bet during that day, I'm just guessing, you can... You can feel free to disagree with me, but any time these folks were together, what did they do? They remained. They did these things. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Kids, young people, old people, I get it. We like to have fun. Nobody likes to have fun more than me. Well, maybe some of you, but... When we get together as the church, there's got to be the Word. There's got to be. I mean, you don't have to make it all in all every time, but there's got to be the Word. That's the mission of our church, is to make healthy sheep through the Word. And that's what the early church would do. They would get together, and when they did, when they had a great day, they were studying and learning God's Word, and they were fellowshipping in the breaking of bread. I think that meant they were eating together, and during their eating together, they took communion. That's what I think that means. I think they probably did that on that day. And what else did they did? They prayed. They had fellowship and they prayed. They came together. And when I read back in Acts chapter 2, and when they had come to Jerusalem, the brethren received us gladly. The brothers were glad. Oh, my goodness. All these years of setting up churches, we're so excited, Paul and your team, to hear what you're doing. So come on in. Let's have a little study. I don't know. I'm guessing. Maybe they had a study on the Great Commission. Who knows? But they studied God's Word. They prayed together. They ate together. They fellowshiped together. It sort of sounds like what's happening at this conference right now. And what should happen in our church? You get it? Come together. Enjoy one another. Build one another up. Learn the word together. Praise together. Fellowship together and pray. I think that's what they did on day one when Paul and his team come down from Antioch. Okay? You with me? Then watch this. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James. Who is James? James is the half-brother of Jesus, who we know from another book was one of the pillars, one of the leaders of the Jerusalem church. Can you imagine the brother of Christ being the leader of church? I mean, he would have known whether Christ was the real deal or not, right? Because you know when you live with somebody. So here we have the following day, Paul went in with us to James and all the elders were present. 
you imagine what a meeting this must have been? And it only takes one little verse, probably one or two seconds, for me to read the next verse, 19. But I bet it took all day, and here's why. It might have even took, well, anyway. When we had greeted them, he told in detail those things which God had done done among the Gentiles through his ministry. I have it pulled up, I think, here, because I couldn't get it to print out. The first three missionary journeys. Do you know on the first missionary journey, Paul went to 16 different cities? First missionary journey, 16 different cities. You catching this? How hard would it be over those couple, two, three years, what kind of labor and work would that have been to go through and to teach and establish churches and elders and a board and all that sort of thing in 16 cities. And chapter 19 there, or verse 19 there, says Paul described it in great detail. You understand what I'm saying? Like, listen to this. I'm just going to read it for effect. He described what happened in Antioch, in Seleucia, in Salome, in Paphos, in Perga, in Pisidian, in Iconium, in Lystra, in Derby, in Lystra, in Iconium, in Pisidia, Antioch, in Pamphylia, Perga, Attilia, Antioch. That's the first missionary journey. How long do you think it would have taken for Paul to describe what happened on the first missionary journey? Think about it. Now, I understand he came back through some churches, so there's probably about eight to ten different churches, and he says that he told them in one day in detail... What happened on the first missionary journey? Are you catching this with me? So I bet if Paul was like me, and maybe some of you, that he didn't just do it from memory. Would you agree? Do you think Paul had records? He was a writer. I mean, so in between the first day they arrived in Jerusalem and that next day, I'll bet you Paul went back to his quarters and looked through his notes. And what did he find? Oh, remember this time here when such and such gave their life to the Lord. And then how this man or this woman blossomed as the Holy Spirit overwhelmed them. And they came into a saving knowledge and the Holy Spirit overwhelmed them. And the ministry that she or he did. Don't you think that was in Paul's notes? Do you think or no? Maybe you don't. Maybe you're not catching what I'm saying. Well, look at this. On the second missionary journey. I know you're saying, okay, I get it. There were 22 different cities that Paul went to on the second missionary journey. Antioch, Syria, Cilicia, Derbe, Lystra, da-da-da-da-da-da-da. That's included Thessalonica, Berea, Corinth, Ephesus, Caesarea, Jerusalem, and back to Antioch. But there's 22. And then on the third missionary journey, there were 18 places that he went. Can you imagine the notes that he must have kept and the friends that he was quartered with that night who he kept, listen, that night in between the first day and the second day, the things that they must have told and said, and they probably didn't talk about the pirates, you know, lack of World Series in 25 or 30 or 40 years. They, he probably didn't talk about that. He probably didn't talk about whether, you know, our current football coach is good at clock management or not. He probably didn't talk about any of that. He probably didn't talk about the Penguins' woes. I bet you what they were talking about was the deeds 
and the wonderful things that the Lord had done through the ministry and were just so blessed by seeing what God had done in those several years on those three missionary journeys. You all with me? And I'll bet that his companions who were with him, their hearts just soared when they recounted what God had done all those years. Are you catching it? So then they go the next day, and what they do is they do this. The next day, Paul went went in with us to James and all the elders. And when he had greeted them, look, hey, how you doing? How was your night last night? Did you get some sleep, Paul? Yeah, I got some sleep. And I'll bet Paul and his folks, his companions said this, hey, we got a lot to cover. Let's get down to it. And it says, as soon as they greeted one another, he started telling them, not just telling them, he told them in detail. That's what it says, not me. It says, it's, he told them in detail all those things which he and his ministry team had accomplished with the Gentiles through his ministry. He doesn't say that. You catch that? He doesn't say that. He says, or the Holy, Luke says through the Holy Spirit here as he's writing it, Paul told in detail all those things which God had done among the Gentiles. Now, Paul was great at this, folks. Paul was great at this. The Bible tells us that God will not share his glory with anyone, his bigness, his substance, his weight. And Paul was great at this. When he got back from his missionary journeys, Paul would mention how God did all the work. Acts 14.27, 15.14, Romans 15.18, 1 Corinthians 15.9, 2 Corinthians 10.17. Paul tells us, you remember this, just hold with me here for a minute. I, I, I seriously have a point. Paul says, don't brag in anything, but just boast. That's like this really strong word for brag. Boast in the Lord. In your life, in my life, if you're a born-again, saved Christian, there's no room for stealing the glory of God. It's all about what God has done and what he's going to do. And he's going to use you, but it's him and his power. And Paul said, you, you know, seriously, the greatest mind, theologically, and this guy who just laid out his life for years and years, and he's the reason, well, it's the Lord, but God used Paul, and it's the reason we're sitting here today in little West Elizabeth, PA, is because Paul did his thing through the Lord. And Paul says, if you're going to boast, boast in the Lord. I'm nothing, he said. I, I can, there's nothing good in me, he said. But what is good and it comes from the Lord. Everybody with me. And so you can imagine what this meeting must have been like. Can you? Right. Okay. Okay. First missionary journey, city number one. And they must have been talking about the exploits of the Lord. And maybe this disciple chimed in and that disciple chimed in. And he went through his thing. And that probably took a while. And then he goes, okay, city number two. You get it? That's what's happening. Now, why do I bring that up? Uh, Because 
the Lord, and it's interesting because I didn't share this with Olivia or the worship team, has been sort of putting on my heart to talk to all of us about the importance of praise. And I've been reading about it and thinking about it over the last couple months. And we, uh, turn with me again and hold your finger in Acts 21. We took a look and read at the beginning of this, Psalm 145. Now, Psalm 145 was not written by Paul. It was written by David. But David caught the same idea that I think Paul was doing. Actually, Paul caught the same idea that I think David was doing. I think Paul, in his own way, was praising the Lord among the saints on the day in which he detailed his three missionary journeys. You catch what I'm saying? I'll extol you. Listen to this. David said, did I say Daniel? Good. Okay, I said David. I will extol you, my God, O King, and I'll bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you, and I will praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. And his greatness is unsearchable. In other words, you could never exhaust the great things about God. You could never. You can't exhaust the great things about God. They're unsearchable. They just continue on. You can't put them into a database. You can't Google this and come up with all the great things about God. God is so great that you can't, you will never run out of topics when you talk about how great God is. All right. Now stick with me for a minute. One generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. You see, between the time of David and Paul, the Christian church was doing this. The great acts, the great acts. And they were recounting things like the Red Sea parting. I mean, come on, folks. If the Red Sea parted, whoa, and you saw that, wouldn't you want to tell everybody about that? Right? Wouldn't you want to? I mean, come on. The manna, think about it. There was snow. It looked like snow. You you were in your bed at night and you could just hear, you know when it snows at night. You ever been in some place where it's snowing like crazy? And it's so silent, you almost, you could hear the snowfall. And that's what manna was doing in the wilderness. And every morning you sort of went out there as a dad or, you know, a mom, whatever, and you just scooped up enough manna for your family for the day. And then is, if that wasn't enough, that miracle, it happened day after day after day. And of course, in true human nature, we started to complain about it. But whatever, it was a miracle. And if you saw that, right, wouldn't you want to declare that to your family and your family want to declare that? And that kept going on till the time of Paul. And Paul is continuing it in his little meeting right now. You catching this? He's declaring the great works of God. One generation shall praise your works to another. He's making sure everybody knows what God did on his trips and shall declare your mighty acts. I'll meditate on the glorious splendor of your majesty and men shall speak of the might of your awesome acts and I'll declare your greatness. They shall utter the, this is the part I want you to know. Part of praise, write it down. Write this down. Part of praise 
is remembering what he does or has done in the past. Are you as fickle as me? I forget. I just go on with my life and get busy and do stuff and blah, 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 blah. And then my wife will remind me of, wow, did you... And you stop and you think and you go, oh my, the Lord did that? Why aren't I remembering that? I'm telling you, I think part of praising God is remembering, A, who He is, what He's accomplished, what He will accomplish, and in your experiences, what God has done through His Word, by His Holy Spirit, in your life, so that out of you comes praise, which is a way of honoring God. Look at this, verse 7, And they shall utter the memory of your great goodness, and shall, look, sing of your righteousness. Now, let's just take a look at this for a minute. Just to, just for a minute, this verse 7. One of the things that Spurgeon says when he writes on these verses is this. This is ingenious. This floored me. Actually, I'm not there yet to the, to the benefit, but keep your eyes down here for a second. <laughs> But one of the things that Spurgeon said, listen to this. If you read this verse, I'm going to utter the memory of your great goodness. Watch. How can you utter the memory of God's great goodness if you've never taken the time to observe God's goodness? Did you catch that? First, in order to utter the memory, in order to remember it, you have to be aware of God's great goodness. But I got to tell you, a lot of people, even in the church, don't speak a lot of God's great goodness. Here's what we speak of. Ah, oh, listen, I didn't get the job, and I hate that job. And you know what? I'm just sick of it. Uh, I can't believe he's done this. I can't believe he's put me here. I can't believe I'm doing this. Why, oh, why, oh, why, oh, why? Resonate with anybody? Or, I can't believe he's put me with that one. Why, oh, why, oh, why, oh, why? Or whatever. A lot of us don't extol the praises of God or the goodness of God. What we do is we complain. Now, time out for a second. If you don't feel well and something's bothering you and you have a spiritual problem, when somebody asks you how you're doing, there's nothing wrong with saying, wow, I, I'm just not feeling it today. I'm feeling poorly and could you pray for me and I need help. There's nothing wrong with that. But it's that constant denying through our actions and our speech of the goodness of God by complaining. When we do that, what we're really saying Honestly, if you get right down to it is, God, you have no idea what you're doing. I know way better than you do, and I've been praying about it, and you're not matched up with what I say you should do. You all with me? So the first thing, look at this. The first thing that we, in order to utter the memory or speak the memory of God's great goodness and then to sing of his righteousness, the first thing that we have to do is we have to pay attention and look for, and record. I don't know how you're going to have to record. I have to record it in a notepad, a journal. 
and record somewhere in your memory, fine. But remember, record the goodness of God. Hold on here. Some of you are going, yeah, but you don't know my life. But look, are you sick? And you've been sick for a long time? Well, listen, praise the Lord if you're saved and you're a born-again Christian. When you get to heaven, you'll never be sick again, ever. You'll be healed. And you say, well, uh, you know, I hate this job. I, I don't like this job. Well, praise God that you have a job. And that he is supplying for you in his providence the money so that you could pay your landlord or your mortgage company and you can stay in your home. Praise God for that. And on and on and on we could go, correct? So in order to know and to speak in praise the goodness of God, you first have to pay attention for the goodness of God. Would you agree? Hey, Paul did that. Paul had, I think, detailed ideas, notes, friends around that spoke of all the good things he did in all those different cities. Paul was actually observing the goodness of God, and he was speaking it out to his brothers and sisters on that day that we read in Acts chapter 23. But I want to ask you something. Where do you see God's goodness? Folks, write this down. Where do you see God's goodness? The first thing you see is you go, you go just immediately. You go, well, I'm going to look to the cross. Where is God's goodness seen? Well, obviously you look to the cross. I mean, think about it. If you don't know this and you're sitting here, the Bible does not teach that you're basically good when you're born. When you're born, you're not basically good. You're a sinner like all of us. The Bible says that you... A sinner saved by grace. That's how we're saved. We come out of it. That you, none of us, we together, when we're born, we're not righteous. Not one of us. That all have sinned. Every one of us. Raise your hand if you're born. Raise your hand if you're born. Were you born? If you're born, the Bible says that you're all sinners, we're all sinners and fall short of the glory of God. We fall short of God's glory or God's standard. And the Bible says, additionally, if you fall below God's standard, your penalty for that is spiritual death, spiritual separation from God forever. That's the bad news. But you got to know the bad news in order to know the good news. But the good news is that Jesus Christ came down from heaven, sent by the Father. And he marched to the cross, and our sins were put on him at the cross. And when we surrender our life to him and say, we're going to follow you and trust you, come into my life. Look, the sin that he took, great, he took on our sin. But the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 5 that we receive his righteousness. Oh my. So that, watch, when God sees you when you pass away, it's not you fall short of the glory of God. Watch, don't miss here. When God sees you in heaven when you die, if you've surrendered your life to Christ, he sees you 
just as if you've never sinned and you've received his righteousness so that God the Father sees you through the lens of the work and person of his son, Jesus Christ, and says, you're welcome. Oh, my. See, that's the good news. And we never tire of that news. And we could speak of his goodness in that way, the best way, all day long. But that's not just all. He tells us who he is in Exodus 33, 34, other places of the Bible. He tells us who he is. God is. He tells us. He says he's merciful, slow to anger, full of compassion. We could praise him and talk of his goodness and record it and remember it, and it would be unsearchable. You see? His goodness. He, 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 um, he, he discloses who he is. I, I marvel at the love of God. Everybody turn with me to 1 Corinthians 13. I'm, I'm hesitate to tell you how to get to Corinthians. I say, can girls eat popcorn? That's how I remember. And I brought this up at the Bible study this week and confused everybody. But anyway, 1 Corinthians 13. You ever thought about this? How about this goodness? Here's the love of God. This isn't just love between a husband and a wife. This is God's love. And this is the type of love that God is towards us. Have you ever been irritating? Raise your hand if you've ever been irritating. I've been irritating. Jan, raise your hand. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) She's saying that to me. (laughs) Have you ever been irritating? you ever just been a bad jerk? Yeah, you've been a jerk? Look at this. Watch this. This is how God loves you. Love suffers long. You see, the world doesn't suffer long in their love. Oh, you can't do stuff for me? You can't? Whatever, you're out. I'm cutting you off. Love suffers long, just keeps going with the person. Love is kind. That's God's love. You ever been unkind? Raise your hand if you've been unkind. Love, God is kind to you, even when you're unkind. You ever been envious of somebody or jealous? I have. Love doesn't envy. God's love doesn't envy. And love doesn't parade itself. And love isn't puffed up. Love isn't showy. You know, when love scores a touchdown, they don't go like this if you're in sports. They don't point to themselves. God's love focuses on the other. It doesn't behave rudely. It doesn't seek its own. It's not provoked. It thinks no evil. It doesn't rejoice in iniquity, rejoices in truth, bears all things, etc. Love never fails. And here's why I'm telling you that. How long could you speak of God's goodness in his love? I mean, it's so deep and so rich. You could record record after record about God's love. Are you catching that? Everybody with me? I know you're tired. We'll get donuts after. But stick here, because this is important. You see God's love in creation, too, I think. You ever been somewhere? You ever been somewhere? Colorado, uh, the Alps, uh, the beach. You ever been to the beach? And that sound, and you're like, how does that water know to stop there? I mean, seriously. How? 
just back and forth at night up here or whatever, day, you know, there and or whatever. I don't even know the tides, but you get what I'm saying. And you go, wow, God's goodness. The sun comes up every single day and it goes down every night and we get the moon and we have stars and con- and it's amazing. And then there, you know, every March they're in the same spot. So if we didn't have iPhones, we could navigate by the- you. You get it. God's goodness is seen as his creation. You ever seen an unbelievable high peaked mountain and been up close and you're like, whoa, whoo, amazing. You see God's goodness in creation and you could go on and on. Listen, I'm just going to give you a few real quick. Here's God's goodness. You could write this out and you could talk about this and record it. He blesses you and blesses his people. His nature is to give. He came in human flesh to save his people, you and I. That's good. He lives in us. That's really good. The spirit of Christ. I wrote this one down. God is a very present help in time of trouble. Anybody ever felt in trouble? You ever been in trouble? Oh, me, the only one. You ever been in trouble? You've been in like real trouble. The Bible says he's not just help. He's present and he's there in the time of trouble. You ever been in trouble and you knew you had to call that one person that could help? Well, think about God. He's there when you're in trouble. You get that? Okay, so that's good. What about this? He's given you a new life. He's put you in a family. He saved us from all of our sins. He's given us a robe of righteousness. We have access now to the Father through the blood of His Son. He's accepted us. He sent His own Son for us. The ministries He directs us to, He gives us power and resource to help. He, he sends us to people. He has people sent to us to cheer us up and to encourage us. And I could just go on and on. And I want you to know something. Here's something else to write down right now. How do we come to know all this? How do you come to know about the goodness of God so that you can utter it with your mouth? How? You read the Bible. <laughs> And you see who God is. You read the Bible just day by day, just a little bit. You don't have to read, you know, all of Leviticus in one day. I know you're going to want to savor it over, you know, two or three months. You read a little bit, you read a little bit, and God reveals himself through his word. That's how. And we consistently and diligently learn who God is through your Bible studies. Watch this. Matthew 12, 34 says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Where does your heart become abundant? It's as you learn God's word and obey it. Not just learn it, obey it too. And so you become a person who praises God. Now watch, you got to know this. You can't tune out here. If you're downstairs, off your phones, forget the donut. It says here that we're to utter the praises of God. But I wanted to know and and talk about why would we praise God in the first place? 
Why in the world would anyone want to praise God? By the way, I'm, I'm just saying, I'm the pastor, and you don't have to listen to me, and I'm nobody better than you. But sometimes I get, listen, if this applies to you, just take it for what's it, what it's worth. But sometimes I walk through, and, you know, there's this amazing song. It's a hymn uh, or another worship song, and I just see people not singing, and I'm like, geesh, how could you not sing? Because here's why I'm saying that. Not because I'm trying to guilt you into singing. I'm not trying to guilt you into singing. I don't want you to be fake or phony. But here's the thing. When you become a Christian, 2 Corinthians 5.17, you become a new creation. And the Bible tells us in Psalm 40 that he gives you a hymn of praise. Uh, Other places it says that he puts a new song in your heart. In other words, when you become a Christian, you can't help but sing because your heart is overflowing with him. And one of the things God's gifted us is singing and song. By the way, in Revelation 5, 9, a picture of what the church will be doing in heaven, the Bible tells us we'll be singing a new song or singing songs of praise to him. You catch that? The language of heaven is song. (laughs) What are you doing when you're praising God through song here? You don't have to be in a song, although the next verse of chapter 7, or excuse me, verse 7 of Psalm 145 says, you'll utter about his goodness, you'll talk about his goodness, but you'll sing about his righteousness. 1 Corinthians 1.30, I think, it's in 1, don't quote me on the verse, says Jesus is our righteousness, so who do you sing about? Jesus. And when you become a born-again Christian, one of the things you can't help doing is singing. Is that true? I mean, have you experienced that? If you haven't experienced a new song in your heart, now listen, folks, if you're one that you weren't singing and you're like, hey, pastor, lay off, here's what I'd say. Examine in your heart whether you've surrendered your life to Christ. And I will lay off. Because I want to make sure every one of you have heard the gospel of Jesus Christ and given opportunity to live your life for him. What else is the benefit of praising God? Why would we praise God? It's because we can't help it. It's coming out of the overflow of our heart. We become new creation. But what are some of the benefits of praising God. Well, Psalm 22.3. Listen, listen. What's a benefit? Write it down. What's the benefit of praising God? Psalm 22.3. A messianic psalm about the crucifixion. 1,000 years prior to the time that it happened. A messianic psalm. In Psalm 22.3, it says that God, listen to this, inhabits or dwells in or is throned, enthroned in your praises or the praises of the saints. Somehow, some way, when we praise God out of a heart of worship, it encircles and and, and it's part, God inhabits our praises. He takes on our praises. He is enthroned. He's set up high in our praises. Not because of us praising. He's who he is. But it happens in response to his kingdomship. (laughs) Get it? He enthrones our praises 
That's amazing. And then here, we're going to put up this quote. We benefit when we see the God at work in our circumstances and in our lives. And here is the quote that I gave to them. It says this, Praising God is singularly beneficial to ourselves. If we had more of it, we should be greatly blessed. What would lift us up or what would lift us so much about the trials of life? Raise your hand if you've ever had a trial in life. Raise your hand. What would lift us up so much about the trials of life? What would help us to bear the burden and the heat of the day so well as songs of praise unto the Most High? The soldier marches without weariness when the band is playing in spiriting strains. The sailor, as he pulls the rope or lifts the anchor, utters a cheery cry to aid his toil. Let us try the animating power of hymns of praise. Nothing would oil the wheels of the chariot of life so well as more of the praising of God. Ah, here it comes. Feel convicted because I do. Praise would end murmuring and, and nurse contentment. If our mouths were filled with the praises of God, there wouldn't be any room for grumbling. Praise would throw a halo of glory around the head of toil and thought. In its sunlight, the commonest duties of life would be transfigured. Duties would be sanctified by prayer and praise. Each duty would be raised into a hallowed worship akin to that of heaven. It would make us more happy, more holy, more heavenly. If we would just say, I will extol thee, my God, O King. That's an amazing thing. Praise benefits us. God inhabits our praises. Praise benefits us. You ever thought of this? When you praise the Lord, utter the praises of the Lord out loud in your workplaces, in your extracurriculars. Others receive blessing. Why? Because they often hear now the scripture or words of God, and they hear you, a saved, born-again saint, praising the Lord in a real dynamic relationship, and they often say, why is it that you're doing that? And when they ask, why is it that you're doing that? You say, you ready? Do you really want to know? And if they say yes, bang, the gospel comes. You get it? I tell you this not to brag on me, but I couldn't believe it. I, I told you this before. I used to work for a law firm. I worked there for eight years. I've worked for another one for 12 years. And the day I left my law firm, my boss said, you know, in eight years, I never heard you cuss. Why? Can you believe he asked me that? This very wealthy, highfalutin lawyer noticed that I didn't cuss. Unbelievable. I never even knew he was watching. Another lady in the billing department had leukemia. I, anyway, had interacted with her right around the last day that I worked there. She said, tell me why you're always smiling. Hmm. Open door gospel. Get it? So there can be one of two options here. You can go around grumbling against the Lord, or you can praise him even around others. What, why is another reason we should praise God? And this is probably the biggest and the greatest. It's because it gives God glory. It gives his glory. You can't add to his glory by praising him, but you can make it more widely known. And what does glory mean? Making God's, you know, his bigness, his substance, his grandeur, his glory. 
Here's another one. Why would we praise God? Hebrews 13, 15. Therefore, by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Why would we praise God? It's because, listen, haven't you ever thought to yourself, if you're saved, you go, what, what, what in the world? He's given me everything. I have nothing to give. And Hebrews 13, 15 says, well, you could do one thing. You could praise him. You could praise him. The fruit of your lips, the sacrifice of your lips, praising, giving back to the Lord in praise because of all that he's done. It's good for you. It gives God glory. It impacts other people who you're around. Why wouldn't we do it? Look at the rest of 145 here. They shall utter the memory of your great goodness. In order to utter the memory, you must look for the goodness. Then record it. Then praise God for it. Then, look at this, sing of your righteousness. Your praise is speaking and singing. You know, one of the great things that you could do for yourself in your walk with Jesus is to fall in love with worship music. Fall in love with worship music. Not worship music so you can idolize worship music or bands or anything like that. But fall in love with worship music so it can be a vehicle for you to praise God. Get it? I I don't know about you, but I'm just going to admit something to you. I love classic rock. I grew up in the 70s. I hate to tell you who I loved. I won't even tell you. It's despicable. But that's who I loved. And I love it. And it appeals to me. But I got to tell you, and I'm not a legalist, I don't think. As soon as I listen to classic rock, bang. I mean, 30 seconds in, 10 seconds in, 15 seconds in, I'm back to the place of carnality, wishing I was doing things that no pastor should be caught doing. And so it's so good for me to just keep that dial there on the worship music, praising the Lord and loving him and giving him the fruit of my lips or the fruit of our lips. It's so good for our walk. It's so good for others. It gives God glory. What else should you be doing as you pursue a life of active praise? Well, somehow record all the good things of God, somehow. Maybe you record them here. I don't do very well. Record them down in a journal. But not only that, you find his goodness in the Bible, but then you record the personal times in which God has done some great things for you. Record them and remember them and speak them out, not in some weird name-it-claim-it way, but you just speak it out to him and you speak of God's goodness And then, oh, it culminates in singing about how Jesus is our righteousness. Oh, you know, I almost forgot. We're in Acts 21. (laughs) And so I want you to go back, and we'll finish right here, and we'll do Acts 21, part 3, next week. See, I got to thinking. I wonder what happened in Paul's meeting And 
I told you and showed you in Acts chapter 2 what the early church would do when they got together. And they must have opened it up on that second day, or they did open it up because Paul tells us on that second day, we want to hear the testimonies of God. And Paul said, really, you want to hear? Okay, 16 cities, 22 cities, 18 cities, or whatever the number was. We're going to go right through it, and I'm going to tell you, and we're all going to tell you about the goodness of God. And listen, when Paul was doing it out of his records with his friends who witnessed it, he was giving ultimate praise and honor and glory to God the Father by the Son through the Spirit. Now, here's what I want you to do is we ask the worship team. I think the worship team's coming back up, although I don't see them. They're probably going, why is he done so early? But if the worship team's coming back, great. If not, listen, I just want you to catch this. If none of this makes sense, maybe it's because you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. Maybe it's because you never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. And today's the opportunity. You say, what do I do? Well, here's what you do. You admit you're a sinner. You recognize that, oh, here they come. You recognize that you're a sinner. And that you can't make the way to God, but that God has reached down through his son to pull you up. And you and I need to grab on to the hand of Jesus and trust him to pay our sins, to break the power over sin, because he died for our sins, but was raised to new life. So you have new life if you surrender your life to Jesus Christ. And what will happen is the Holy Spirit will come into your life, the third person of the Trinity. He's not third because he's lesser. He's just, there has to be an order of some. The third person of the Trinity will come and live in your life, and you'll be on the most exciting adventure of all time. You'll be part of what God is doing, part of his kingdom. You'll be doing that forever. You'll begin or you, God will put into your heart a new song, and you'll be singing it in all eternity. Amazing. So here, bow your head. I'm going to pray with you. If, if that's you, if you want to give your life to Jesus, religion doesn't do it, somebody else's faith doesn't do it, money doesn't do it, being a good little boy or little girl or a good boy or girl won't do it, what does it is the blood of Jesus Christ, the finished work of Christ at the cross and his resurrection. So bow your head, and if that's you, here's what I want you to do. I want you to just lift up your hand, and we'll pray together for you. Just bow your heads and lift up your hand if that's what you want to do. Praise the Lord. And I'm going to pray with you who's lifted up your hand. Lord, I thank you. I pray with my friend here. We pray together with our friend here. He's recognized he's a sinner. He's asking that you would come into his life, pay the penalty for his sin, and give him new life, a new spiritual life. And so, Lord, I pray and thank you that this has happened for this young man. I ask that you do a mighty work through this one's life. That many would come to know you as he runs for righteousness and your glory 
and your fame. Lord, if there's anybody in here where their heart's being tugged by the Holy Spirit, we pray they would come, speak to us, and pray with us after. We thank you for this day. For those of us who have surrendered our lives to Christ, teach us in new ways how we can praise you, Lord. (laughs) How it's great for us. It's great for others. And you get the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.